been a hot, long summer, but uh, man, it's beautiful weather. So, welcome. Let's do this. Let's uh, do as we always do, get Bibles into people's hands. If you didn't bring a Bible, just raise your hand nice and high and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Those of you that came with your swords, open them to Matthew 27. And if you need to, to mark your other places, you can just tear your bulletin in half or in thirds or whatever. Uh, You can use that as a handy-dandy bookmark. Matthew 27 is the primary place we'll be. But you can also mark Isaiah 59. And again, if you have trouble, if you don't know where these places are, um, and you you just want to mark the main passage, mark Matthew 27. If you're diligent and and you kind of know your way through the Bible, Isaiah 59 If you want to mark it, but you don't know where it is, just look in the table of contents in your Bible. It'll give you a page number. And then if you can count, you can find the 59th chapter. If you can't count, see me afterwards. One more place, uh, almost exactly in the middle of your Bible, you will find the book of Psalms. Actually, this book of Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. Uh, You will want to go to the 22nd. Psalm. So there's three places, Matthew 27, Isaiah 59, Psalm 22. Is that what I said, Psalm 22? Yes, good. I'm going to pray, make sure your cell phones are off, and then we'll open up to Matthew 27. Lord, uh, week after week after week, we just come here uh, longing to, I I pray, see one another, longing to uh, spend time Just a time that is separate, Lord, a time that is dedicated to you. You, You've given us six days of the week to do whatever we need to, want to do. And this one day of the week, Lord, you call us to gather together in your name. Lord, we thank you that, that you're with us all week. But it's not all week that we are conscious and meditating on you. Lord, our brains need this time to be refreshed. Our hearts need this time to be encouraged. And our bodies need this time to be submitted to You, Lord. And so we just, we're here. You've got us, Lord, for this time. There's no external input coming into our lives. There's no media. There's no, nothing from the outside, Lord. We just pray that You would completely absorb us for this next hour. Father, teach us from Your Word. We're sitting at Your feet, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Longing for something that's different than what the world offers. Something that's real and genuine and tangible and transformational. Father, I pray that the cross would be fresh to us. We pray in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Matthew 27 is where we are, where we have been marching through the gospel according to Matthew. And it's funny, we've called it the biography of the king. And most biographies of kings don't end up with the king uh, on the cross there. Uh, Maybe some of them do if they get conquered. Uh, But of course, we know that our king conquered by the cross, which is an interesting difference there. 
been spending, you know, it's been strange for me as we've been spending so many weeks during this, this one day period between the Passover and then the, the, um, the crucifixion. It's, it's been odd because I've been, you know, personally meditating on these things for the last couple of weeks and I found myself, you know, at the Fluvanna County football game a couple of weeks ago and watching the football game uh, and, and still thinking about the cross. And it's just weird. And then last, yesterday, just doing some, you know, cutting grass and whatnot and doing my daily routine things and thinking about the cross and thinking, how does this, you know, what is the, a, a Jewish carpenter being nailed to a humiliating cross 2,000 years ago have to do with me today cutting my grass or at the football game? And so I've just been thinking about these things. You're waiting for me to give an answer, aren't you? See, you're so used to just being fed answers. I, you should consider that for yourself. As you're at Walmart shopping or you're at the grocery store or wherever you are, you're considering what is this story, what is this, this event, this most incredible day, and I'll say the most crucial day. Again, we have that Latin word cruce, which is cross. This crossroads in history, most spectacular day, most horrifying day. Uh, and, and this day we're going to look at today, the most odd day ever lived, I think, on the face of the earth. A strange day, no ordinary day that we're looking at. I was thinking back to as the people pressed Pilate to crucify Jesus, and they said, his blood be on us and on our children. And I was just looking at my kids thinking, wow, it's so true. The decisions that we make in our lives do truly affect our children, don't they? And they said, let his blood be on us and our children. It would be. Just like the decisions we make, that, that not just affecting us, but also our children. And so we left Jesus literally hanging on the cross, his body brutalized, his mind emotionally spent, him bearing all, every type, all kinds of the sins of the world on his body. He literally became sin. And they were mocking him, and we went through all of that last week. And we, we ended up, verse 44 of chapter 27, with even the robbers who were crucified with him. They're on either side of him, and there they are in the same mess that he's in, and still mocking him. And, and verse 45 says, now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. So what are the sixth hour and the ninth hour? Um, Reckoned by the way that the Romans kept time, started at 6 a.m. That was the beginning. So you have the third hour, which would be 9 a.m. Then the sixth hour, which would be then noon, according to our our timing. And then the ninth hour would be three. So from the sixth hour or noon until the ninth hour or three, there was darkness. Now Jesus had been on the cross from 9 a.m., Three hours he was on the cross, um, just like the, the criminals trying to get breath, trying, you know, his body slumped down, all the weight on the ropes on, on his hands, on his feet, and then having to pull up to try to get a breath with the, the pain that would come from uh, pulling up against those nails and uh, rubbing his back, his scourge back against the wood of the cross and that was going on for three hours. It's meant to be humiliating, and it's meant to be very, very painful. 
And then at, the, at noon, there's this strange darkness, like an eclipse, but it was a full moon because it's the Passover, and that's not a typical time you would have an eclipse. And, and you know, you know, if you've ever been, we see these storms come through. Just a couple weeks ago, there's this weird storm that comes through, and the whole sky gets really dark. And when you know, when you see the sky get dark like that, you know, it's kind of eerie, isn't it? It's kind of scary. And you sort of get this People start to get weird because we know something's going on and it's kind of freaky and we start to get nervous. And I think that when the sky went dark at noon, I think everybody was like, "Ooh, this is weird. I mean, this is probably this eerie, spooky kind of feeling. And it was and I think God was just doing I think the, the, the environment was just paralleling the spiritual environment. There is, when, when God takes on human flesh, when he comes to his own, and his own condemn him as a criminal and humiliate him, that's a dark time. When, when God tries to reach out a hand to humanity in love to save them, and the humanity he created crucifies him, that's a dark time. And I think this was a very dark time, and, and the environment reflected that. So there was darkness and, and historians have recorded the fact that there was this odd darkness. Verse 46 says, And about the ninth hour, so 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, and this is the translation of that, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is one of the most stunning sentences I think in the whole Bible, at least for me, it is. It, it's absolutely stunning. A couple of interesting things um, about this. There's seven things. Those of you that have studied the Bible, no, there's seven things that Jesus says from the cross as I hold up five fingers. Um, there's seven things that Jesus says from the cross. We only read one of them in Matthew. You have to look at the other Gospels to see the other six things that he says from the cross. Matthew records this quotation from Psalm 22. Interestingly, though, now he's been on the cross for six hours, struggling for breath, no food, thirsting, and he manages to muster up this loud voice. That would have been uncommon. You did not often hear uh, the people being crucified yelling out after six hours. They're exhausted. They're in tremendous amount of pain. Maybe a loud groan, maybe a loud cry, but not uh, typically a, a thought-out sentence. And so, and loud voice is interesting. It's two words in Greek. Loud is mega, and um, voice is phone, megaphone. So his voice was like a megaphone, which showed that he, he still had some strength, even though struggling to breathe, he still had some strength to, uh, to say what he, he said from the cross. And there it's, it's quoted and then it's translated, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, if you like to take notes, you can put next to forsaken, abandoned, left helpless. Abandoned or left helpless. And we as, we as human beings... We know that many of us know or understand, even if you haven't felt it individually, the feeling or the, the fear of being abandoned. Some of you have been abandoned. Some of you have felt abandoned. 
It's not a good feeling. I think that, and many people would agree that the real pain of the cross was, was not the physical for Jesus. It was the spiritual, the emotional. And it's interesting that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Judas betrayed him and all the disciples, the Bible says, forsook him. But he doesn't say, my God, my God, why have all the disciples forsaken me? See, we are so connected. And I think, and sitting in an airport, I just watched people, this number of years ago, watching people. And, and even driving in your car, you can watch people. And everybody's on their phones all the time. We have this need to be connected. And I think it's, uh, we understand that, that feeling of loneliness that can exist and that does exist for so many and so when Jesus cries out about being forsaken, I think we understand a little bit of that. And it's interesting, I lived, you know, 24 years with no sense of the presence of God in my life and didn't ever feel any problem with that. I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what I was missing. I didn't know what I was missing because until you have something, you don't know what it's like to have it. And so for years, I thought everything is fine. I just, I don't have, go think about God much. I don't know much about God. You know, things were going along just fine. I went to college. I went to graduate school. I had a job just like millions of people. No sense of the presence of God. But then I found God, or should I say God found me. And then I understood what I was missing. And now, having that presence of God in my life, knowing and being able to to speak with God and sitting in the airport watching people on their phones needing to be connected and having this peace in my life and being able to just converse openly with God in my heart and in my mind. I don't know if I could go back. I don't know what it would be like to now have a sense of the absence of the presence of God in my life. Some of you are amazed when you do feel God's presence. Some of you... Are just astounded that you have maybe had an encounter with God. And there's so much more than that. Jesus, now this is what's fascinating about it. Jesus was so, he came, he said, I'm only going to do my Father's will. He only said what the Father told him to. He only did what the Father told him to. He was so intimately connected to his God. That now on the cross, when that connection is broken for a time, he feels it most deeply. And that's what he cries out. Not, my God, my God, why have you allowed me to go through this? He knew what was coming. He told his disciples, look, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. In three days, I'll rise again. He knew the cross was coming. He didn't say, my God, my God, why are you letting me suffer this? He he dealt with that in the garden. His mind was made up. He knew what he had to do. But I think what he didn't expect, and I use human terms, was the sense and the feeling of the separation from God. See, because everything he'd gone through up until this time, he had relied on his God. Even if even the whole world abandoned him, I still got I still got God. And I can deal with it. I can get through it because I've got God. But now he's utterly and completely alone. Now we marked Psalm 22. Let's just go there real quickly because sometimes. The Psalms just say it best. And here's Jesus on the cross quoting right from Psalm 22, which is called the Psalm of the Cross. If you haven't read it in its totality, you just must read it. Um, Look at verse 1. 
It's a psalm of David. So David also felt this sense at a time in his life that God had forsaken him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me helpless? Why, have, why are you not doing something? And no doubt this is how David is feeling as he writes this. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, why, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you responding? Oh my God, verse 2 says, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And the night season, and I'm not silent. Now, just look down at verse 6, and we'll see why this is called the Psalm of the Cross. Verse 6 says, but I am a worm and no man. That's my life verse, by the way. I am a worm and no man. If you're looking for a life verse, guys, that's a good one. Um, A reproach of men and despised by the people. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Didn't we just read that last week in Matthew 27? Look down at verse 16. And in all between there is is amazing stuff that describes Jesus on the cross. Verse 16 says, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Written years before the cross. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. We read about that, didn't, they? didn't we? And for my clothing, they cast lots. It's exactly what happened at the cross. But you, verse 19, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horn's of the wild oxen. And then look at the end of verse 21. It says, you have answered me. And then he goes on to write the next portion of the psalm that talks about deliverance. And I think Jesus was certainly drawing their attention to this psalm. So even in the midst of feeling this forsakenness, but have you ever felt forsaken by God? Have you ever felt I mean, that you're not alone. Here's Jesus quoting it. Here's David quoting it. I'll tell you who else felt forsaken by God. Gideon. Judges chapter 6. Gideon felt forsaken by God. They were under attack from this other group of people called the Midianites. And, and Mid, uh, Gideon was hiding and threshing wheat. And, and God says, uh, you know, arise, you mighty man of valor. You know, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to deliver. And, and Gideon says, what, what are you talking about? You know, where, where are all these miracles that, we, we talk, that we've heard about from our parents? Where, where are the miracles? We, I see no miracles, and here I am hiding. And, and he says, you've forsaken us. And God basically says to him, Gideon, you are going to be my miracle. You're going to be my deliverer. So God hadn't forsaken him, hadn't forsaken them. All through the Bible, when we read about people saying God has forsaken us. And you can, 1 Kings chapter 8 and 2 Chronicles, I think, chapter 23. There's a number of places. Typically, it's because we have forsaken God. That's typically why people feel or sense that God has forsaken them because they forsook Him. And the Bible says, if you forsake me, I will forsake you. So the first question, if you feel forsaken by God, the first question to ask yourself is, Have you forsaken him? If you're feeling distant from God, it's not him that moved. So that's always the first question to ask. The second question is, 
or the, the second issue is, maybe God wants resurrection and not rescue for you. Maybe you feel God has forsaken. You remember Mary and Martha? Jesus, if you'd only been here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. And they thought, hey, he, he blew it for them. You know, he, he let them down. But Jesus wanted resurrection, not rescue. And I think that that'd be a lesson for some in here. I think some of you are saying, you know, I feel like financially God has forsaken me. I've done, I'm doing all the right things. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm tithing or I'm giving and I'm doing all these things. And God's not rescuing me. Why isn't he listening? Why isn't God hearing me? Why isn't he acting on my behalf? Because he wants you to die completely to yourself before he rescues you and actually resurrects you. What you need is new life. Not being rescued from your struggle. And so God is working in the life of Jesus. Now, we can't say, we know for Jesus, it wasn't that he had forsaken God. That wasn't the issue. So why from the cross does he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heading back to Matthew, we'll make a quick stop in Isaiah 59. A little bit to the right. Look at uh, Isaiah 59, verse 1. Isaiah says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. So it's not that God can't reach Jesus. It's not that, oh, I'm just too weak or or can't can't quite get there, Jesus. I'd love to help you out because some of us feel that way too. Love to help you out, Steve, but I, I just can't quite get there. He says, that's not it. Just the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Verse two says, but your iniquities has separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity and on it goes through here. So we find out that there's a reason that God has forsaken Jesus on the cross because he is bearing all of my and your and our iniquities, which is just twistedness. Iniquity just means to be twisted or distorted. All of the twistedness that existed in my life and still exists, all of the twistedness in our world, all of the the way things get distorted, lies, all those things are all put on and being carried by Christ. And he says, your iniquities. So not Christ's iniquities. We know he was sinless. He was perfect. But all of my iniquities on him have caused this separation between Jesus and God for this momentary time on the cross. Does that make sense? Are we together on that? Back to Matthew 27. My God, my God, why... Have you forsaken me? And now we know the answer. The answer to why. As he is the sin bearer. Some of those, verse, 20, uh, verse 47, who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. So even on the cross, Jesus is being misunderstood. 
and they're only listening to half of what he's saying. When he says, Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God, they say, oh, he's calling for Elijah. And, and you know, Malachi 4 talks about Elijah coming, you know, at the, at the end of the, the age and whatnot. But, you know, some, of them, some people say maybe they're just mocking him, oh, he's calling for Elijah, just making another attempt at being rescued and sort of how silly it is that he could think at this point that he could be rescued. He's on a, a one-way ticket to the grave. And so still even then misunderstanding him. And, and so some tried to give him a little relief with this sour wine or vinegar on a, on a reed. And others say, ah, let him alone, let him alone. And now verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a megaphone, a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. He died. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. Um, Interesting, it says, he yielded up his spirit. Death didn't overtake him. You know, sometimes when my kids were little, I remember watching them fight going to sleep. You ever seen that with little kids? Like, they just don't want to go to sleep. They just will try not to go to bed. I mean, sleep is coming to get them, and they are resisting, and they're resisting, and they'll fall asleep in their plate if they need to, because they don't want to go to bed, and so they'll fight it, and, but eventually sleep wins and overtakes them, and they, they like, you know, fall asleep at the weirdest positions, you know, at the table or in the car or wherever. We used to have to drive, don't tell Jacob I told you this, uh, we used to have to drive him around to get him to go to sleep because we were so dead. He wouldn't nap. Our kids never napped for some reason. Did your kids nap? Our, oh, our kids just, we, we never got a break. And we thought, you know, we were going to die ourselves because we just were so tired. And so finally we just got, this kid's got a nap. So we'd toss him in the car seat, put him in the car, and we'd start driving, you know, just to, to get him to go to sleep. But he'd be looking out the window, and I'm falling asleep, you know, as I'm driving. So finally he'd fall asleep and we'd, we'd bring him home and death, I mean, uh, and sleep would overtake him, but uh, <laughs> but that's not what it was like for Jesus on the cross. It was not Jesus fighting, fighting, fighting. Pontius Pilate was amazed when Joseph of Arimathea comes to, to ask him if he can have the body. Pilate's like, what, he's, he's dead already? I mean, because death on the cross could take anywhere from a day to, I think the longest recorded time is 13 days. 13 days. Um, and, and death on the cross was meant to be long and excruciating and laborious. But that's not how it was. They, when they came around, when the soldiers came around, to, they were going to speed up the death. They would do that by breaking the legs of the criminals so they couldn't push up anymore and get a breath. And then they would asphyxiate and that would cause them to die quicker. When they came to Jesus, he had already yielded up his spirit. Because you know, from the cross, one of the other things he said was, it is finished, to tell us die. It is finished. It is brought to completion. And once his job was finished... He came, the Bible tells us, to seek and save that which was lost. He came to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He came to save His people from their sins. All of those things, once they were finished, no need to hang around anymore. No pun intended. So He yielded up His Spirit. 
when his work was done. And I tell you, there's a part of me some days that looks forward to rest after the work is done. Man, there's a part of me that, unlike my kids when they were young, some people really fight death. They'll fight it. They're worried about their families. They're worried about this. They're worried about that. Maybe feeling at, at the time of death that they had nothing to show for their lives, like live the you know, kind of a life that really had no meaning, and they'll fight it, and they'll fight it, and they'll fight it. And here Jesus, 33 years old, yielded up his spirit. He's finished. And we also learn from another gospel right here. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And, and this, is, this is what death is. It is the body without the spirit. James says that. He says, just like faith without works is dead, it's just like a body without the spirit is dead. And so the body is still there. But the spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to commit that to you, Father. Are you scared to die? I'm not, sometimes I'm, I'm scared of like the process of dying, but, but really knowing that, that comfort of knowing that my spirit will be committed into the hands of God. And we have so many questions about what's the, what things like, how's it happen, how's it work, what happens when we die, all these things. I don't have all the answers, you know, but I do know this, into his hands I will commit my spirit. And, and so this is, Jesus' last words from the cross were, were just that, into your hands. And so he dies. And, and this, at this moment, there is a, a chain of events that are unfolded that are remarkable. Verse 51 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's not an ordinary day. So it's, we've already had darkness. So it's already dark. This weird, eerie darkness. Jesus cries out in the darkness from the cross. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And the priests, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the priests are at the temple offering the evening sacrifices. And the veil in the temple, which was separating the holy place from the most holy place, it was this place that was meant to be a divider. And behind that veil, the priest went one time a year, and they would tie a rope to the guy just in case he died in there. If he hadn't confessed his sins or something wasn't, wasn't right, and he died in there, they couldn't go in and get him. So they tie a rope to him, so if something happened, they could pull him out without going in behind the veil. And the veil was this separation between the presence of God, which was in the most holy place, where God would come and meet with the priest on the Day of Atonement, when he would bring the blood of the sacrifice, and, and, and that's where God would meet. And there was this veil, and no, uh, nobody else could go back there. And that veil that separated Man from God was torn completely. That's why it says torn from top to bottom. There, it wasn't just partially torn so that only certain people could crawl in or fly over. It was completely torn. And the way was now open to the presence of God because of the mediator, Jesus Christ, the one whose blood finally fulfilled all of those pictures in the Old Testament. And so that veil was torn. And we are 
of all men most pitiful if we don't take advantage of it. If we don't boldly come to the throne in our time of need. We have open access. Which we, see, we are so familiar with that. We are so, it's just normal for us that we can't imagine not having that. Not having access to God. Not being able to get together on Thursday morning with a bunch of guys at 6.30 in the morning and pray. It's just normal for us. But for them, this was huge. And, and this probably, it was probably loud. It was probably scary. And this whole, nobody tore it. It just tore. I mean, cloth, it was embroidered. This beautiful embroidery. And it doesn't just like kind of, stuff just doesn't tear on its own. And God tore this thing down the middle, and there was an earthquake. And I know when the earthquake happened in Louisa, that was a 5.8. That really freaked me out. I didn't know what was going on. Kay knew what was going on. Kay's from the West. She was under her desk already. But I'm going, I thought a truck was driving through our office at the time. I thought a truck had gone off route on Route 15 and was coming to, through the office. But Kay knew what was going on. I had no clue. It was a 5.8. Just this year, there was a geological study done by a... Um, it was in the, the uh, Journal of Ge- Geology. They went and studied the, um, the sedimentation down at the Dead Sea in, near En Gedi. And they studied the layers to see where there were disturbances. And they found that, in fact, an earthquake occurred. Uh, there was one in 31 B.C. And then one, a smaller one, a localized one, in, that was somewhere between 26 and 36 A.D., which would have been right in the time when Jesus would have died there on the cross. And it was probably, they estimate from the sedimentation, about a 5.5 earthquake. So you can just give you some comparison. That's, that was just this year that study was done, not by Christian geologists, but just by geologists. I don't know what, what they were. I don't know. Geologists, for what that's worth. So the earthquake and, and, and the rocks were split. And then verse 52 is like, and, and 53, the, the graves were opened... Probably as a result of the earthquake, these, you know, they didn't have graves like us. They had, um, you know, sort of, uh, in the side of a, carved out of the side of a, of a cliff and, and there was a stone rolled. So these stones that guarded the front of the tombs would, would had rolled away and anyone that was buried in, in kind of a, um, a more type of a monument type thing, um, those things cracked as a result. And then, the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or died. We don't know who these saints are, Old Testament saints, uh, people that, that died in faith, were raised. And verse 53 tells us they came out of the graves. I just picture, you know, thriller. That's all I can. Whenever I read this, I just can't help but picturing thriller. Uh, that's not what it was like, but that's what I picture. And people, you know, scholars, Bible scholars, commentators just hash this around. Any way you slice it, it's weird. It's freaky. And, and nobody really knows. Nobody can say for sure because it's not written about. None of the other gospel writers record it. It's not written about anywhere else historically. Just Matthew lets us know. And, uh, I mean, the one thing we can all agree on is that we recognize is that Jesus broke the power of sin. And in breaking the power of sin, he broke the power of death. And so death no longer has hold. Matter of fact, Christ breaks for all of us the fear of death. Those that fear death 
uh, no longer have to do so in Christ. And so these, these saints come out, and they're not resurrected until after he's resurrected. They, so after his resurrection, then they all go into the city and appear to all kinds of people. Like, that's weird. I mean, I, what do you do when a guy that died 20 years ago comes rolling into the, to the restaurant, you know? And, like, whoa, that's going to turn some eyes. That's going to turn some heads, I think. So I, I'll leave you to research that one out on your own. I don't have any big answers for you other than this is what happened. Verse 54 says, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So these guys see all that's going on. They hear the cries from the cross. They see what's happening And they are moved and say, truly this was. And the only thing he gets is the tense wrong. He shouldn't say this was the Son of God. There's no was about it. This is the Son of God. Truly this is the Son of God. And he recognizes this connection between all that's going on and somehow God being involved with all of this. This guy is who he says he is. Verse 55, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. I think we'll stop there for today, um, just with this mention of the women. Jesus was, hadn't been completely abandoned. There were women that were still following him. He speaks to them even as he's on the road to the cross. And, and I thank God for the, the, the women in our fellowship, the women in the body of Christ who love Jesus. Because they are sometimes, you are ladies, a lot more courageous than the guys. The disciples had all forsaken him. But Mary Magdalene, the one out of whom seven demons he cast, the, Mary is there and the mother of James and John, you know, hey, can my boys, you know, have a place in your kingdom and she's there. And so I just, you know, there's so much talk and so much head rattling about the role of women in the church and all of that. And, and I just want to say that over and over again, the spotlight is put on spiritual women and their ministry to Jesus Christ. Who cares if you have a title or some kind of, you know, recognition? They didn't have it. Here's the recognition they had right here in the Bible, in the Word of God, for the Word of God is eternal, and they're known as ministering to Him. Not, not that they ministered to the disciples, although they did. And I think there's a lot of women in this fellowship who spend their time and would be known as the women who ministered to Jesus. And, and your names could be listed there. Just women who ministered to Him. So... We close out with, um, we'll talk about Joseph of Arimathea next time. We'll finish chapter 27. And just as a reminder, you know, this, the cross is, is not independent of the resurrection. So I, we're, we're sort of spending a lot of time in, on the cross. It was, you know, six hours for Jesus and we're spending probably six hours studying it <laughs> over, the, over the course of the weeks. But I'm going to have Nick come up. And we'll, we'll study the resurrection as we get into the next chapter, uh, chapter 28.
Because the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And this is the answer to the question about meditating on the cross while I'm cutting the grass or while I'm at the football game. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, here I am watching a football game, cutting the grass. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ now lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. And that's just one way to look at it. Now, I'm going to read one quick story here before we close, and then Nick will lead us in a song. I just wanted to try to make this a little more real. Once there was a man who had a son and no wife. He worked at a bridge. Every day he would push a button to make the bridge go down so the train could come over it. He did this every afternoon. One day the boy's school had a free day and and the boy decided to come down to his dad's work and kick a football around at the foot of the bridge. While he was playing, his dad was looking down on him. That's my boy, he was saying. I love that kid. He's a part of me and I love him so much. At 2.45 p.m., he started to prepare for the train to come. He looked down for his son. His son wasn't at the foot of the tower. He looked around and couldn't see him. He opened the window and called out, Son, where are you? But his son didn't answer him. The train was nearly there. He could hear it puffing in the distance. He looked out the window and saw his son stuck under the bridge. Dad, help me. I can't get out. The boy was screaming. The man thought hard. He didn't have enough time to come down from the tower and free the boy. He didn't have time to do that and come back and let the bridge back. The train was nearly there. If the bridge stayed up, all the people would fall into the river and drown. There were over 300 people on that train. He was biting his nails and his son was calling, Dad, help me, just as Jesus from the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? And the train was coming closer. The man got frantic. He pulled at his hair and scratched his chest and knew what he had to do. He pushed the button. The bridge went down and killed his son. The man stood in the tower and screamed. He cried and sobbed because he had killed his son. The train rushed past. A few people waved. A few people looked worried because the man was crying. A few people came back later. But most just kept going. The man had killed his son, his son whom he cherished, to save some people he didn't know and most whom didn't care. So, you expect a happy ending to the story, right? I mean, it's, we often don't look at the cross from God's standpoint. And we know that how Jesus felt on the cross. We don't talk about how God felt on the cross. And we are all part of God's creation. And, and so it wasn't 300 people, it was billions of people. The sacrifice of one son whom he loved dearly for the salvation of billions but especially of those who will accept it. So as Nick plays and, and we sing a closing song, um, you may agree or disagree, but you can't ignore it. This is a, a real historical event. It's recorded by Josephus. It's recorded in our Bible. Uh, it happened. Just as the Bible says it did. And we know 
God so loved the world. He loved his son, but he also loved the world. And he loved me individually. And while I was yet a sinner, he died for me before I had any knowledge. While I was still happy being without him, distant from God. But all, like I said, I don't know if I could go back. Could you go back, Christian? Could you go back to to not knowing God? So maybe there's someone in here this morning that doesn't know God. That doesn't understand what it could be like to come into his presence. And this morning, we'll just invite you and say that because of the cross, your debt's been paid. Because of his blood, my sins are washed away. And now I can come into the presence of God boldly and have a relationship with the living God. If you don't know it, I can't explain it to you. There are no words to explain it. But those of you that know it, and you know what I'm saying, just say amen. 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 So let's stand. If you want to know God, just while we sing, you please feel free to come down or afterwards, just come down and we can pray together. And you can receive Jesus as your Savior.